Nobody knows what's going on when we watch the Olympics. We just turn on our TVs and become obsessed with sports we haven't thought about in four years. This is why we made the Ringer Guide to the Summer Games. I'm your host, Roger Sherman. Each day during the Tokyo Olympics, I'll tell you about a different sport, athlete, or storyline. We'll be releasing new episodes every day starting July 19th. Follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you know exactly how to watch the Olympics. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Welcome back to Flying Coach. It's the podcast that is coaches being interviewed by a coach and a guy uh, who's on the mic right now. My name is Peter Schrager. I'm one of the co-hosts for Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. And my co-host is the former NFL Coach of the Year and my dear friend, head coach of the Los Angeles Rams, Mr. Sean McVay. Sean, what's up? Not much, Peter. You know, I, I can't believe how quickly this has flown by. Here we are, episode 10, wrapping it up the right way. And who better than to end Flying Coach Season 2 than two of the most charismatic, best coaches, most fun guys I've been around, and Raheem Morris and Mike Tomlin, head coach of the Steelers. Raheem Morris is with us as the defensive coordinator, former head coach of the Bucks, head coach of the Falcons last year for a handful of weeks. And these guys are fun, a lot of laughs. A lot of things that I think the fans are going to enjoy listening to these two guys chop it up with us. Really excited about this conversation, Peter. Raheem Morris, Mike Tomlin, Sean McVay, Peter Schrager. It's a party. Let's jump right in. Yes, sir. Final episode of the Flying Coach podcast. We've had a blast. We've had everyone from Kyle Shanahan to Robert Sala to Joe Judge uh, to Matt LaFleur, we went to Cliff Kingsbury, Zach Taylor, Arthur Smith, but Sean, I have not been more excited for any guests than the ones we've got today. Who do we have on the final episode, the season finale of Flying Coach? Yeah, we got uh, two special guests, Raheem Morris and Mike Tomlin, and uh, these are two guys that I uh, I look up to, man. You know, you talk about charisma, presence, ability to communicate with guys. These guys do it as well as anybody. They've meant a lot to me, but you know, we'll start this thing off. You know, these guys are two of the best DB coaches, uh, in, you know, that I've ever been around. And when they talk about off-man technique cushion race, you know, they usually say, let's start slow, let's increase our speed as we go, but we ain't doing that shit today. We're getting started <laughs> right away. I, I, You know, these guys have a lot of history. Their friendship is well-documented. Raheem Morris, never short on personality. Give me a good Mike T story when you guys have been together to just start us off and just get a little good lather going right away. <laughs> hey, hey, before before he even talks, let me be clear, okay? He, he could do me for this whole interview. <laughs> oh, I know. 
<laughs> his his impersonation of Mike is uncanny. I, when I actually met Mike for the first time, I felt like I already knew the guy because I heard Raheem impersonate him so many times. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, the guy's classic, man. He's been a, uh, one of the ultimate teachers to us. And when you, you're around that kind of greatness, you can do nothing but absorb it in. So I had the ability to absorb it in so much that um, it comes across as me imitating Mike when times I may just be realistically teaching or doing or going throughout the process, but um, I definitely get imitate this guy really well. Um, he'll give you some classic lines, particularly in a, a positional meeting setting. Um, but the story I got to give you, the story I got to give you guys is uh, the first day I interviewed um, in 2002 when I was opportunity to come down and interview as the quality control coach. And you know, Monty Kiffin was there as a the defensive coordinator. Mike Tomlin was obviously the defensive back coach. Brian Marinelli, our D line coach, and Joe Barry. Uh, former of the LA Rams was our linebacker coach. And it was the three, the four men sitting in there. And 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 Monty Kiffin's interviews were legendary. You know, he puts you through a process, he puts you through the board, he made you recite the information back to him and give it to you with the, um, whatever defense he wanted you to do that day. Um, and they were legendary. And all the guys sitting in, they listened. Um, I felt like I crushed the interview. And then I got the opportunity to visit with all the other coaches. I went to Ride and talked about the history of the game. He talked about what it means and talked about Chuck Knox and gave me an article. And he sat down with me and talked about football and giving back to the game of football. Um, I went to a room with Joe Barry. He handed me a, a PowerPoint um, a, a document and said, go uh, recreate this document. So I had a couple of minutes to recreate this document. I was able to give him the document. He came back and said, man, that was great. Um, I walked into Mike Thomas' office. At the time, it was a closet. Um, the only thing he was missing <laughs> were a couple of brooms and, uh, and some cleaning materials. And uh, He looked at me and he said, hey, man, you're not tricking me, man. You're full of shit. Uh, who, taught you, who taught you the goddamn defense and uh uh wh where was it and he said he said uh i'm gonna bypass the fact that i knew you already knew this uh f that um i'm gonna say i like you anyway i'm gonna post <laughs> <after> this opportunity <laughs> and uh and, and and there it was man the, the relationship started and i got a chance to sit around this man for a couple of years and uh really soak up some good information um try to contribute and he challenged me every day um, to bring something to the table that was uh, that was worthwhile for him to be able to steal from me. And then at the end of the day, I realized he stole it, but it was his. And I was like, God, that was amazing. He had amazing ability to do that. <laughs> hey, I, I tell you what, though, you know, it just kind of speaks to the environment that we were in, man. Just, just listen to him talk about the names of the men that he interviewed with just through that process, you know. We were young coaches, man. We had that young coach arrogance. You know, we thought we were good. And, and don't get me wrong, we worked hard. But just to be in an environment with guys like Monty and Marinelli, man, um, and others, uh, we were just we were fortunate to be there. We knew it. You know, it wasn't something that you look back on years later and have an appreciation for it. No, we knew it at that time. We knew that we were in – defensive mecca, if you will. We knew we were in the hot spot, and it was just cool to be in your 20s and be be coaching defense in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. It, you know, you know, it is funny because I, I – and Raheem, you've kind of seen both ends of the spectrum. You know, I look at that staff, Mike, from a defensive perspective, and you talk about the success that all you guys have gone on to have. It's kind of similar, and we haven't done nearly the things that you guys have accomplished. But when I was in Washington with Shanahan, with LaFleur – 
Raheem was a part of that staff. Talk about the differences that you saw, Raheem, and, and two staffs. Now, you know, you're talking about legends of the game. We're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to keep our head above water, but, you know, you got a chance. What, what, what were the differences or what were some of the similarities that you saw? You know, the great part about it uh, for me um, was when I was at Tampa, I was young, um, had no idea, fresh out of Hofstra, introduction to the lead. Um, I was luckily enough to be a, a part of some league-like things when I was at Cornell with Pete Mangurian. But I went down and I really just wanted to suck up everything and learn it all. You know, they had legendary coaches that had just left with Lovey Smith, with Herm Edwards, and then being replaced by Joe Barry and the Mike Tomlin and being able to be around all those guys, legendary coaches that you knew were a part of the game, the history of the game, um, loved the game and loved playing the game, loved doing everything about the game, you know, and being able to grow down there with those guys. And then I was able to go be a part of that Washington staff and be around Mike Shanahan, who had done big things as a head coach, and his son, Cal Shanahan, who also had time with us in Tampa. I was able to be around you who also had time with us in Tampa and being part of that staff that we had in DC with Bobby Turner and some of those legendary coaches and great coaches that have done so many good things in the zone scheme system on offense and, you know, rest in peace today, you know, obviously uh, a legend has died at offensive line, but being around those guys, you can see the work. Um, you can see the systems combine and come together and see the detail and all of the things that are able to go about, whether it was talking about cover two or whether you were talking about that zone scheme keeper game on offense and seeing all those guys in the, in the likeliness of uh, the studying, the, the, the attention to detail, the, the love for the game, the bond with each other, um, the willingness to meet all day on whatever it takes and whatever it needed to get done. And it not being work, uh, it being fun and it being what you wanted to do and where you wanted to be. Hey, Sean. Yeah. I got a simpler <laughs> analysis of it. <laughs> hey, it, it's funny. You know, when, when we were in Tampa, you could just tell that we had a group by the way we moved around league functions, right? It was legendary how myself and Raheem and Joe Barry and Joe Woods kind of moved around the combine. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I try to keep up with you guys. Hey, and it was funny <laughs> because when I saw that Washington group, I knew. I didn't, I didn't work with any of you guys. Um, and, and I knew Kyle. But just to watch y'all move um, with confidence that you guys move with, how tight you guys were, that you weren't intimidated in any setting. And let's face it, man, in our business, man, when you get in settings like that, you're around, you know, veteran coaches and stuff like that, it can be intimidating. But I recognize the confidence in y'all group. And I saw the similarities between y'all group and our group and in settings like that that had nothing to do with work. It was just social settings. You guys knew that you had the answers. You guys knew that you were talented, and you guys knew it was only a matter of time before everyone would know your names. And I saw that similarity just in hanging out with you guys that I saw in our group from, you know, eight or whatever years earlier. Yeah. No, it, you know what? It, it does resonate with me because, Peter, and you know this as well as I do, you know, anytime, you know, the football business in general is full of big personalities guys with the charisma and presence. But I'll tell you what, anytime that you're around Mike Tomlin and Raheem Morris, you always know when those dudes are in the room because 
There's a kid, but you know what though? I'll tell you what, one of my favorite things that both you guys have that I think is, is a, as a real separator is the consistent mental toughness, the no flinch mindset and mentality through it all. You know, I, I've obviously worked with Raheem, gotten to know him, but I've obviously had so much respect watching you lead from afar. And then when we've gotten to know each other over the last handful of years, Mike T, but you know, talk about just that mental toughness. That's, it just seems like it's kind of innate in both you guys. You know, what, what do you make of that? And, and where do you think that comes from, Mike T? You know, I think, I do think you have an aptitude for it, but I do think that he and I sharpen that skill together. Um, when you work shoulder to shoulder with somebody like he and I work together and you're in a lot of circumstances like we were, I think we all looked around when it got tight, like you always do. And when I looked around at him and he looked around at me, we always were very cognizant. We, we were never overwhelmed by moments. And I think we appreciated that about each other. And I think that strengthened us. And I think we just wanted to share it with others. And so we, we instilled that in our group. We tried to, you know, as secondary coaches, we tried to impart that on the football team. You know what I mean? Because when you look around and things get tight, man, you can waste a lot of time talking about how bad it is or wondering who's going to turn the tide, et cetera. We just took it upon ourselves, man, just from a mindset standpoint, that we were never going to flinch, that we were going to lead our group out of whatever darkness that you can encounter professionally. And really, I think we both came with an aptitude, but I think just the time spent together, we gained an appreciation from that for that strength in each other, and we grew because of it, you know, yeah. it, um, and particularly together. You know, I, I've always tried to maintain that mentality, obviously, um, moving forward. But I don't know that I've ever had a another partner that saw it as clearly in the same manner as I have as that dude that's on this call with us. I love that. I, You know, Peter, I love hearing, uh, you know, Raheem tells me the story because, you know, I, I can remember the various amounts of times just the advice, the perspective when he's head coach in Tampa and kind of just pouring into me. And, you know, he was telling me some stories about when he and Mike T worked together. And as a young coach, you know, Mike alluded to this earlier about this young arrogance that we have. And he's exactly right. And Raheem, you can touch on this better. You know, you're, you you kind of get there. You guys are working together and you got some suggestions on some coverage principles or maybe some pressure packages. And Mike T says to you, yeah, you're one of those young cats, man. All the answers and no accountability. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Peter. So it was great. You know, it was, it was always a great environment because every week, you know, as this guy's assistant, who's this great coach who, who, who focuses on the details of the work and, and, and really can adapt and, and apply whatever he wanted to get applied to, to the, to the group. And I was sitting in the lab on that Monday or that Tuesday, and I would be in my office waiting for him to call me in the room with my suggestions, my ideas, the things that I thought would work, the things that we wanted to do. And he would always sit down and go, yeah, yeah. Those 27 things you got up there sound like great ideas, but you got no accountability to the shit I did. <laughs> you know, and, um, and it always gave you great perspective. And I was trying to get as many ideas and as many thoughts. Well, Ron, it's a common thread. I mean, we had Kyle on, Kyle Shanahan, and he said that he would take a second before putting the play call in and Sean would be buzzing in from the box up there. Like, How about we do this? About, just just calm down for one second. I'm going to get it out. I'm going to call the play, Sean. <laughs> and it's almost like this uh, exuberance of the young coach. But I find all three of you guys so interesting because you guys went from being assistant coaches to coordinators 
to then those head coaching jobs at pretty young ages. And Mike, I'll start with you. You go from Tampa to then getting the defensive coordinator job in Minnesota. And then Bill Cowher retires and this Pittsburgh job is opened up. Before you walked into that interview, I knew you knew you were ready for that moment, but what was kind of the mental process going into interview for the Pittsburgh Steelers head coaching job? You know, um, for me, it felt like I was playing with house money, to be quite mm-hmm. honest with you. That's probably why I performed as well as I did in interview, and that's probably why I got the job. You know, um, I didn't expect to be in that position, and I didn't see a whole lot of negatives in terms of being in that position. And so I just went in there and I was very comfortable. I was myself. You know, I had spent so much time just fighting to get in position to call defense. And, and particularly when you work in, you work in Tampa and you got raised like we got raised in Tampa, the veteran coaches in our group, you know, they would just always, yeah, we want to see what your tape looks like. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And so like, Man, I had poured so much energy into preparing to be a defensive coordinator and making sure that that tape was hot and really not looking beyond that, that I didn't get a, enough time to really put too much weight on the opportunity, you know? And so I went in there, I went in there like I was playing with house money, and I think I think that worked into my advantage. And Rob, what about you that time with Tampa? I know you were obviously an assistant with the team, but then the head coaching job, I mean, that's a, especially following the steps of Gruden, who was a guy who you guys knew all so well. Sure. You know, the the beauty part about it, Peter, is I've only interviewed for 40 things. And the first one was Denver. And I walked into that interview kind of like Mike Tomlin with the house's money. I had just been named defensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the hottest defenses in football, taking over for a legend. Uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of situations people would run from, and I had already embraced it, and I was ready to go attack that thing and go hit it, hit it and run it with Coach Drew. Um, I didn't get the Denver job, and within weeks I was able to take over for the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and be their head coach. Um, and that interview kind of happened with our ownership over time. I think it kind of happened when I interviewed with those guys to be defensive coordinator. I think kind of happened with my relationship that I developed with them over the years. I think kind of happened with the decision-making and some of the tools that, that I learned from this guy on the phone. Um, one of the things that he told me that he always pressed to me as a young coach was, um, if we both got the same opinion and one of us are not needed, and I always wanted to formulate my own opinion and go into all these situations uh, with the open mind, uh, with the reason to go out there and find people that would not like me, would go out there and find people that can kind of form, we talk about now with the Rams, is this basketball team. We've always had that mentality of finding people to go out there and find out um, what makes us better. What helps us tick like we had in Tampa or like we had in D.C.? Um, I think those things have made us great. And I think those are things that got me into those opportunities like last year uh, with Atlanta um, and then going inside Jacksonville, having a chance to interview with those jobs. So I always go into that thing, playing with the house's money. Um, I don't think I'll ever go into it in any other way coming from Newark, New Jersey and Irvington, New Jersey. Um, and that mentality of just no doubt. Let's go let this thing play out and see where we land. Hey, I tell you what, I'll never forget, man. Um, I think. I'm probably in the playoffs, maybe wild card round or something. And they let coach Gruden go. And it's kind of a shocker. You know, it's a shocker. I see it running across the ticker. I call this dude immediately because I'm like, they're going to interview you and they're going to hire you, whether you realize it or not. Cause I kind of been in that circumstance, you know what I mean? And I never forget. Raw, you remember you? He was in a barber shop in Brandon, <laughs> getting a haircut. <laughs> I was like, man, 
that's good. You're getting a haircut because you're going to need it. <laughs> I just, I just saw it, you know. Um, I just knew that if they gave him a legitimate consideration that they weren't going to say no to him, he wasn't going to allow it to happen. You know? Yeah. Go ahead, Ra. I'm sorry. So I got to add to that story. I am in the barbershop. It was a Friday. I'm going to get my barbershop and Brandon and Mike T's calling me and talking about this. And after that, I got called in by Bruce Allen and uh, I go to the office and I go into this room and long story short, I become the head coach and I'm sitting in the, the Glazier's house in, in Tampa. It was Brian Glazier. And uh, I'm not supposed to answer my phone yet or talk to anybody and let them know because, you know, you know how this thing is. Breaking news is breaking news and how it goes. And Mike T's calling me and I got to answer this phone call. So I sneak in. I answer. Hello, Mike. What's up? <laughs> he goes, hey, man, what's going on? I go, hey, man, you can't tell anybody, but I'm the head coach of Tempe Buccaneers. No shit. It's crawling across the sticker right now. Like, do that. <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my bad. I didn't know. <laughs> he, he thought he was holding on to some hot information. Oh, God. It is, it is unbelievable. You got no time to get anything out. You think you're telling your buddy something and the whole world knows before. Let me ask both you guys this, because it is funny. There's a... There's a confidence, but there's a, you know, there's a security knowing that, hey, we've been around good coaches to go shoot our shot and we got nothing to lose when we're getting these opportunities at young ages. Going into year 15, all the great experiences you've had, Raheem, if you guys flip your hat on and you say, all right, I'm the owner or I'm the guy hiring a head coach, what are we looking for? Like, what do you think stood out about you guys that made, you know, ownership groups say, hey, we, we can't miss out on an opportunity to, to let these guys lead and do their thing. What is that that you think is, is something that you would say is important to you, Mike? I think that youthful arrogance is attractive. Um, yeah. It would be attractive to me. Um, there's a lot of reasons to be downtrodden. There's a lot of reasons to be beat up by our business. We've always thrived on the competition. And I say we, and I'm talking about the guys on this call and the guys that we spend a lot of time with, our crews, right? And to me, you can't put a price tag on that. Um, the journey is a long one, and I'm talking about the journey of our careers or the journey that is a season. And if you're not a general, generally optimistic person with a can-do attitude, this thing chews you up. And I think your teams feel it. And so for me... I think that youthful arrogance or that can-do attitude that we all kind of displayed that probably was attractive to ownership uh, would be attractive to me. That glass half full, that bring it on. Yeah, we all have been knocked down a peg or two through the life experiences, but just in spite of it, um, I, I just think that general approach to, to the game and to the competition that makes our game what it is I think is a winning edge for all of us. And I think that's why, why we're friends, to be quite honest with you. I think that's the tie that binds all of us, where we smile and, you know, give the chin up when we see each other. And it's the same thing that, you know, when that dude stand on the other sideline, like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> I know what type of day it's going to be. Um, and and I think that's probably the single characteristic from an ownership perspective that would attract me to anybody in our group. Yeah. How about you, Ra? You know, for me, um, we talk about this a lot, but a lot of guys spend a lot of time trying to avoid distractions. Um, we kind of embrace those things. We kind of embrace those roles. You know, the, the thing that we all have in common, I believe I'm talking about, you know, the Kyle Shanahan's, the Sean McVay's, the, 
the Mike Thomas of the world and all the guys in our, in our small circle that we all know about. There are more, but we embrace this. We embrace distractions because we're comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations. And when you can have those comfortable conversations with anybody at any level, whether you're talking about ownership, your team, your coaching staff, um, delivering those type of messages to people, I think those are the things that make us different. Those are the things that separate us. Um, and not to be, you know, to embrace so much of the arrogant young coach that Mike T's talking about, but I'm a little older, but I'm still an arrogant young coach because I'm the best and I perceive myself as the best. And not in a nasty way or a bad way, but it's got to be a mentality that's just just goes through you that way. You know, um, there's some jobs that a lot of people won't take in this profession because they're scared to embrace some of those things and some of those roles. Um, bring those roles on, man. Like, uh, I love the role that I'm in this year. I love the role that's going to happen for us this year. I love the role um, that I've been able to be put in for the last couple of years. A lot of people call those things tough roles. I call those things ways, ways to go out there and prove yourself and adjust and make those things happen. Hey, you know, to piggyback on what he said, I think about this often. You know, he said we were willing to have the uncomfortable conversations. Man, it was beyond that, wasn't it? Like we sought the uncomfortable conversations, you know, and there was a legitimate closeness because of that. You know, I, I'm going to make Ra laugh, but, you know, me, Raheem, Joe Barry, man, we were thick as thieves, right? Man, you couldn't divide our group, man. Like things that you wouldn't and probably shouldn't talk about in the work setting, man, we chewed on that every day. Like, hot topic racial issues, man. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey remember we used to say, if you're race sensitive, you're a racist? You're probably a racist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Real talk. No, nah, man, just, you know, it, it was cool to be in an environment with guys that you respected and guys that you were so close with that, that, that there was nothing that was out of bounds. And you might have a different perspective on something, but we all just had so much love and respect for each other that we always walked away from the conversations better because of it. You know, those things are, are very difficult to duplicate. And that's what I mean when I say that when we were there, we knew it wasn't looking back saying, man, that was really cool. No, we knew it was cool then. We knew that yeah. environmentally. Um, and maybe it's just it was the men, but it's also just kind of where we were in our careers and and all of that. It was it was it was cool to grow together. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Peter, that I would say uh, about Raheem and Mike just being around these guys is just you. I think one of the best compliments you can give people is anytime you spend time with them, you always leave feeling better about yourself, mm. you know, and then these guys have such a rare ability. You know, you talk about embracing the uncomfortable conversations. What I've learned, especially being around Raheem as much, I mean, this guy can say the most outlandish stuff that you just can't even believe. And you know, that because of the emotional intelligence with the timing and tone, people just say, Oh, that's funny, Raheem, where I'm like, if I said that shit, I might get punched in the face. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uncanny but like just this gives you some insight into like how refreshingly secure Raheem is in himself and you know and I know Mike T is a, is a lot of the same so we're all working in Washington Raheem had just left the Bucks okay it's me Raheem Matt LaFleur and Matt's wife Brianne all right and so we open up the uh the cupboard we're having a couple adult beverages and there's some Bucks glasses all right sitting in the uh the cupboard and he had just left there and she says oh Bucks don't you hate the Bucks he says hate the Bucks they made me rich bitch I love the Bucks and that is like that's such a great insight into like how this guy is just he always is the glass half full and I'm telling you what I love being around him 
He's a great coach. And man, you you know, I tell you what, you you two make me feel like I have no personality being around you two guys, man. <laughs> hey, 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 Sean, I gotta give you another raw story. Classic. I love it. Hey, so he's he's coaching the Bucks. I'm coaching the Steelers. Our combine interview rooms, man, are right next door to each other. It's perfect. Right? It's perfect. So every night he finishes, you know, he comes over in our room and you know, everybody knows our, the nature of our relationship. Everybody likes Raheem. How can you not, not like Raheem? But, like, I cringe whenever he was in the presence of Joe Green. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, you just never know what the hell is going to come out of Raheem's mouth, you know? Ain't that the truth? Yes. <laughs> it's legend. And, and Joe's nickname is, you know, kind of well-earned, you know? <laughs> and, man, Rob walks in there one night, man, sees Joe, and he, he lights up. He's like, Yo, what's up? Your old mean ass. <laughs> and and Joe probably like loved eerie, it. It was like an eerie silence for about five seconds. And then Joe just fell out laughing. And then it just signaled the rest of us that we could laugh too. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> like, so good. I, I've never seen anybody like just force themselves on Joe Green in a social type way. Like he's capable of doing as you outlined, uh. <laughs> you know. Hey, Sean, the the beauty about all that, man, is just being able to say some of those things and do some of those things is because of the people on this phone and 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 the relationships that we we're able to build and some of the things that I've learned from Mike Tomlin, I've learned from you. You know, when you build those relationships and people get comfortable with you, you find ways to make that thing real comfortable and easy and easy to talk to and easy to give back and forth information to. And I think that's the importance of our profession. Um, whether we believe it or not, uh, once we form our relationship with our guys, they know we're in for them and we got no other arterial motives and that's why they get back to us. Yeah. Mm. Now it's, you know, Hey Mike, you'll love this. So, uh, you know, Raheem and Nikki move out here and they're getting settled. They got an unbelievable pad. And so, you know, this little maniac Jalen that he's got as a son. <laughs> all right. You know, I mean, if this isn't his dad, I don't know what is. So we're, so we're, they're showing me and my fiance Veronica around the house. And so they say, you know, Hey Jalen, you want to, you want to show coach your room? He says, yeah, but first we were overlooking the patio. It's an unbelievable view from the master bedroom. And he can't remember my name. And, and he's yelling, Hey, Hey, new guy. Hey, new guy. <laughs> I said, I said, listen, he's calling me new guy. He couldn't remember my name. He's yelling, hey, new guy, I want to show you my room. He's running around. I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from no. the tree. <laughs> oh, hey. Hey, I got to tell this story. This is another classic, right? Man, we're working in Tampa. My, my sons, who are 19 and 20 now, man, at this time, you know, they're probably three and four and in that age group, man. They thought they were Batman and Robin. I mean, these dudes were capes every day. Every day. <laughs> they got out of bed, man. They put their capes on, right? They were crime fighters. Dude, Raheem was the Joker. Yes. You know? <laughs> like, like the energy that he brought to, to my kids, like, man, my kids call him the Joker to this day. Like, like man, we be at my house post-game, man. Dude, Raheem would would sleep in their playroom with them on Sunday night. You know what I mean? I get up Monday morning and Raheem and my two boys are laying in the floor, man, with capes on and stuff, man. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I kick him. I'm like, come on, man, we got to go to work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, 
just the uh, energy. And, and you know, it, it's cool to watch him do the parenting thing now. Um, because man, he had great parenting skills, man, and patience and, and attention for kids, man, that I, I can imagine the, the activity going on around his house these days. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, it's never a dull moment. Wait a minute, Sean. I, I went up you on that one, Mike Thomas, because uh I can I'll fast forward a little bit and I'm in Washington. And you know, I got my beautiful young daughter, Amaya, and she's about three or four and Old Sean McVay would come over and uh, we have a bunch of time and he would sit there and watch Dora with her till she fell asleep. Sometimes he fell asleep. That's so I right. could kick him in the morning and say, let's go to work. So I returned the favor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. Isn't that cool? You yes, know? it is. Hey, how about, uh, do you remember Mike T the last time that we were all together at Raheem's wedding with Nikki and we were having a ball at the pool? <laughs> Raheem, you, you want to tell that story from <laughs> from from the after the wedding day? What a blast we all had! Man, what a what a great day! Um, who knew that uh, uh, Sean Phelps over here uh, could swim as many laps as he did? Are we doing laps, Sean? He absolutely. I was challenged. It was uh, it was a friendly wager on. Uh, him getting back and forth. I forget the amount of times. Um, no, you don't. It was four. He crushed it. <laughs> he crushed it and popped out of the pool. And you would have thought we would have won the, the NFL Super Bowl, the NBA championship, uh, the Stanley Cup, all in the same day as the pool just erupted with elation. Uh, and uh, he jumped out of the pool like a champ, a true champ. Well, well, no, you and you know, you talk about the young arrogance, Peter. So yeah. there was somebody that was part of the, you know, it's the day after the wedding. We're all hanging out at the pool, beautiful place, bunch of good company. Somebody goes down and back underneath the water, and everybody's like, "That's unbelievable!" <laughs> you know, Mike T's like, "Hey, that's some shit right there," and so. I said, you know what? This goes to show you what a real dick I used to be. I still kind of am. I said, I'll go down, back, down, back underwater. They're like, I'll kiss your ass. They're like, no way you'll do this. Reem says, you do that. I'm buying shots for the whole pool. Yes. And he starts making his call, his cuckoo call and everything like that. So now I'm telling you right now, I would have drowned before I came up failing this mission. I'm telling you. So I come down back and I, you would have never let on, but I'm telling you, I was two swim lengths away from drowning. I popped up like Wolverine out of this pool. Everybody goes nuts. The music's going in the background, dovestep, whatever it's, it, it was, it was a wild day at Raheem Morris's wedding. Oh, we had a ball. Man, I'm telling you. I love it. Uh, Ra, one of the things I love about your career is you've taken on different roles. And in Atlanta, one of the big stories in the media was, wait a second, Raheem Morris is going to be coaching wide receivers, but you embrace that role. Talk to us a little bit and some of the coaches that might be listening to this about what the challenge is, what you've been presented and taking it on head first. Well, I got lucky, man. It started from the beginning with Mike T. I don't know. A lot of people don't know Mike Tomlin played wide receiver in college. Um, a lot of people know that he embraced that offensive mentality and brought it to defense first. And that was kind of where we started our, our growth and development from, learning offensive football, being able to sit in Gruden's classrooms, um, being able to be around Sean, being able to be around Cal in Washington and D.C., along with Mike Shannon. So we had this, uh, this pretty nosy uh, type mentality when it came to coaching football anyway. Mm. So when I get to Atlanta and we're there for a year, um, we lose Terry Robisky to an offensive coordinator to go to Tennessee Titans. And we're looking and I'm helping Coach Quinn. I'm the assistant head coach at the time, final receiver coach. And my advice to him was, 
hey, I don't think you need a great receiver coach. I think you need somebody that can help out Kyle Shanahan relate um, to these players and make him better and, and help him out. And somebody he can bounce some ideas off of, whether it be defense, offense, special teams, or somebody that he respects that he can go to uh, when he needs somebody to lean on a little bit. And um, we turn around, we interview a couple people. He has me call a couple guys, kind of laying out the groundwork. Um, and later that day, man, he calls me and walking around Buckhead Mall. He says, uh, hey, how about you do it? And I just told him, I said, hey, man, I'll do whatever best for the team. Mm. You know, kind of like Sean talks about that we not me mentality. Um, and a lot of people thought I shouldn't have done it because it would set me back and put me on a different track of being a head coach. But I didn't look at it that way. I looked at another opportunity to learn, another opportunity to grow, um, another opportunity to advance my career and show you can do whatever you put your mind to, um, set an example for my kids, um, be able to go out there and do just whatever. And also, it wasn't too bad that I was going to embrace coaching the best receiver in football with yeah. Jones. Um, also had Muhammad Sanu, was able to draft, uh, go out there and get Taylor Gabriel, come back with Calvin Ridley, and really learn some real detailed stuff about the receiver position. So talking about the movement, the separation skills, some of the things you need to be just a part of it. But embracing those things from young Mike McDames, or Mike LaFleur, Cal Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, you know, all those guys are there. Having an outlet like a Sean McVay who was in the system who I can talk to and kind of walk myself through. I'll never forget my first year in offense. Sean comes to me in the combine. He's all fired up. Hey, man, give it to me. Your first 33 down call. I'm like, fuck, man. I'm just trying to find out what C.O. Bo is right now. Back away from me. You know, and he's all excited. And he's re he's recapping every game he's ever played and calls on offense. I'm looking. I'm like, man, I just got the formation down, man. Back up. <laughs> you know, and uh, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I really felt like it's, uh, it's helped me grow. Um, it's made me develop even more. Um, it's given me more of that young arrogance that Mike T talked about. And um, um, it helps me fit in any room. And, um, and it definitely prepared me for my next opportunity to be a head coach whenever that occurs again. You know, I think that's the thing that, you know, we, we, we probably don't acknowledge enough. And it, it'd probably be negligent for us to, you know, get off this call and not, not to share it with the listeners, man, is that, man, we worked our tails off, man. And really our confidence was kind of really steeped in the work. It was ridiculous how we worked at that time, man. I, don't, I can't speak to you guys, but I'm incapable of working like that now. You know, <laughs> I don't have a gas, man, the way we used to work. Um, and, but, I don't but, believe you. <laughs> but we were, we were, you know how it is. You know, I'm a sandbag. <laughs> but um, like we were around cool dudes. Like, you know, you're talking about offense and defense, man. We, we, we talked the game. We learned the game. We worked the game from, from a 360 degree perspective. We had the cool opportunity to work with a dude like Richard Mann. Remember this, Rob? Like, we'd be in training camp, and a couple nights a week, we would watch practice tape with the wideouts and Richard Mann in the same room. Mm. And so we're watching us going against them, them going against us. We're watching one-on-ones. We're watching seven-on-seven. And we're hearing his coaching points, and he's hearing ours. And not only that, but the players are too. And it was just the type of environment, the type of men that we were around, man. You know, we 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 giving flowers to Monty and Rod and, and appropriately so, man. But we had, man, we had some coaches, man. Richard Mann, guys like that, that didn't mind sharing a space with us. You know, we benefited from that more than Richard Mann, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Richard Mann was a grizzly veteran, man, at that time. And so to, to, to be in a work environment where people were open to sharing space with us and helping us get better and not turning us away when we had a wild idea like, hey, let's watch 
tape together tonight, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and agreeing to it. Um, I, I just I can't say enough about those things, man. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we worked our tails off, but we we just we we were around some grizzly veteran coaches, man, that 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 poured into us. Bill Meir, you know, not only on defense, but on offense. We had some grizzly veteran coaches, man, that raised our asses. You know what, though? It, uh, and what I love about that is I've been the beneficiary of it because you guys had such great guys like that. And then I feel like it's the same thing you guys have done to me. You know, since I got to work with Raheem, so much of what I know about the defensive side of the ball has been the teaching progression that he's teaching that you guys talked about all your years working together. I appreciate so much when we start going to these uh, owners meetings and stuff, how quickly you kind of take me under your arm. And, you know, it's it's that thing where you just kind of keep giving back to the game. And that's what's great about the game you know I think there's this narrative hey we can all compete and we're we're expecting to compete to the best of our ability when we go against each other but the best ones they still have a willingness to share and give back to this game and that's what you guys have done and I couldn't be more appreciative of it going back to the receiver thing though Mike you'll love this so when Raheem you know he's going through and you know he's the assistant head coach and, and Dan Quinn relies on him so heavily so he says hey Raheem like for you you know you've done such a great job but I'd like for you to you know what do you think about coaching the receivers and 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 Raheem's like, so what do you think about that? I said, well, Raheem, you know, you're a great coach. You know the game, but you haven't coached receivers. You know, how, how the hell is that going to work? He goes, it's easy. Good job, Julio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm dying laughing. I'm falling out. I mean, but I'll say this too. You know, and I'd be interested to hear this, Mike, because unfortunately, you know, it kind of coincided when we played each other a couple years ago. But I love, you know, and you've kind of touched on the relationship with you and Minka Fitzpatrick. But you talk about guys playing their best under your guys' leadership, guidance, your tutelage. And, you know, all the things that you see that your guys are really coaching to be at an elite level and to see the game through a coach's lens. Talk about that relationship, because I, I have tremendous respect for Minka and obviously what he's done since you guys have started to work. Working together. I mean, he's established himself as one of the, if not the premier safety in the game. Talk about that. It is, it's, I spent a lot of time with Minka. Um, and, and guys like him with his talent level and perspective on the game require the time. And it's interesting because I just, I've learned over the years that, that I probably ask more questions of him than I do because I want to know what he sees and why. Yeah. Um, so that we can reproduce it on a more consistent basis. And Rod can agree with this. Man, when you're coaching players like that, they bring the best out in us. I learned the skills to coach Minka down there in Tampa, coaching John Lynch, gold jacket John Lynch, and Rondi Barber, right? When you're 28, man, coaching 29-year-old John Lynch, you know, and, and Rondé, shoot, I played college ball against Rondé. Man, just the, the level of preparedness that you have to be, be ready for, um, the, the challenge of coaching great players, and not, not only great players with great physical skills, but guys with great intellect. Man, it brought the best out in us, and it probably accelerate, accelerated my growth and development and really made me view the game from a from a different perspective. For example, Rondi was so sharp that I started coaching Rondi like a Sam linebacker, even though he was playing nickel. Mm. He keyed the box and he played the run and he fit runs 
like a Sam linebacker. And really prior to that point, I didn't know any secondary coaches coaching nickels in that way, to be honest with you. Without a doubt, Rondy is the first nickel I saw in the National Football League chase a puller on a counter scheme and, and go make the tackle on the other side of the ball um, and not stumble into it. I'm talking about he keyed it and played it. And I say that and I tell that story because it's really the same approach that I take in terms of dealing with Minka. Minka has that level of football intellect. And so, man, there's a lot, there's a lot more meat on that bone um, mm. than under normal circumstances. We're in the process right now this summer of talking about dealing with his alignment depth based on the nature of the offenses, right? RPOs versus play action and formational structure and things of that nature. Conversations, quite honestly, that you could not have with, with most guys. Yeah. Um, he's able to digest things and make it turn up on the field that other guys can't. And so if you don't first recognize that, shame on you as a coach, but then you also got to come up with a formula to reproduce it at a consistent level and to, and to help him play a ball. Monty used to tell me, um, and, and Ra remember this, he's like, man, it's easy to get a C player to play B. Mm. So get an A player to show up and play A every week, you know, and it's real. And, you know, we always want to pat ourselves on the back when we get a backup and he plays good, you know, <laughs> uh-uh, man, no. Like, I'm going to be interested in seeing what Aaron Donald plays like week in and week out. Yeah. Rob. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because the challenges for us and the standard that we held ourselves to as coaches was just that. Yeah. Hey, forget making an average player play good. Can, can we get the great ones to play great every week? And, and 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 that's the approach that I still hold to this day, and that's the spirit in which I, I coach Minka. Peter, man, it's funny, man, listening to Mike Tomlin talk right now, and a lot of coaches get pressure from the media guys, right? They yeah. get pressure from the media whether the guys play well. No, my pressure comes from knowing that Mike Tomlin's going to watch my tape. True, I I get it. It comes from internal sources that you know who you value their opinion so high that you got to get your tape right. And no disrespect to anybody else watching, but your pressure should come from those who you know know exactly what you're trying to get done, how you deal with mental tough situations like Sean talked about earlier, how your player, A players play A-style football. And I remember going to work with D'Angelo Hall, an A-style player who wasn't playing A-style football when I got there. And when I left, he was certainly playing A-style football. And 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 those are the things that make you feel really good as a coach, kind of alluding and carrying on what Mike Tomlin was talking about. You know, I still want to make those C's feel like B's but definitely want to make those A's feel like A's every week. Yeah, and it's great. And I work with D. Hall now on uh, NFL Network, and he's getting better and better at the broadcast game where it's cool to watch his skills evolve and have opinions and have takes. And he's a fantastic guy and obviously had a great NFL career. Sean, now there's this different dynamic where you're the head coach and Ra's the defensive coordinator. How's it going so far? And how much have you relied on Raheem? And Raheem, how much have you seen Sean grow in the four years he's been the head coach? Yeah, well, for one, uh, you know, I, I've continued to rely on Raheem from afar because of our friendship, you know, going back to when we were just kicking it in Tampa and you never realize how many things you draw on until you get into this role where so much of this stuff comes up. But to have him there as somebody that's been through it, 
that is a, a genuine friend, but got such a capacity for the game. He's got an elite feel with people and how to handle some of those conflict conversations. You know, I always say like truth is just simply meeting the truth head or, you know, difficult conversations is really just about meeting the truth head on. And, and he's as good as anybody I've been around about that. Uh, couldn't be more grateful. And then, you know, there is something to be said. That consistent energy, man, it it, it rubs off on people. You know, you got a tough time. You know, sometimes that you get some never naturally things come across your desk, but he's unfazed by it. And that helps me. And, you know, I, I couldn't be more grateful to be reconnected with him. And, uh, you know, it's been fun. And, you know, when I, when I called him and I said, what do you think? And, you know, he's got a chance to see Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and, and come out to LA he said, shoot, sign me up, man. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been great so far. You know, uh, Pete, to answer your question about Sean, man, I tell him, I tell him daily. I try to tell him every day because, you know, a lot of times you don't hear this enough when, you, when, you, when you're in that position because people don't want to come to you because they feel, you know, somewhat intimidated. But I tell them when I think he does a good job and I tell them when I think he can do something better. I think that's part of my role is being able to be that, that honest, that truth, that truth teller to him. Um, and to watch him in this position, absolutely take control and ownership of a building. It is one of the most impressive things I've seen since I've been coaching. Um, I am as proud of him as anybody um, and not to put him as he's like my little brother. Um, we're in the oh, same level at, at all, at all doubt, but um, I am so proud to see him and how he leads the room and how he leads the team and how he leads our building and our organization in our city. Uh, more importantly, um, I think those are some of the things, some of the traits that's going to make him um, one of the elite coaches in this league for a long time. I've been fortunate enough to be around this guy on the lower half of my screen for a long time. Um, knew he was going to be a great head coach before he was a great head coach. Um, and I watch it evolve every year and I watch him get better. And, and now I got a chance to be a part of Sean doing that. And, uh, I can't bear to be the first person to help him, man. It's, I can't wait to do it. Sean, what do you see from Mike Tomlin that you say, okay, that's a guy that I can emulate my coaching skills after. And what have you learned from him? Well, yeah, I mean, I think both of these guys, you know, I talked about it. I said, when you're looking at coaches, number one, you're looking at, all right, let's, let's have a great guy, but then let's be a great communicator, a great teacher that can help bring out the best in players. You know, these guys inspire players. You listen to the way Rondé Barber, D Hall, Minka Fitzpatrick, these guys that know, you know, and all the guys that Mike T and Raheem have been around, they know, I mean, these guys are the epitome of what's right about the game. And then I think just, you know, I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. There's a zest for life, man. These guys mm -hmm. are fun. Like, like, I just think there's so much to be said for that. You know, there's a lot of pressure and stuff like that, but it never feels that way. You know, like that stuff is a privilege and these guys truly believe it and they live it where a lot of people say it, but they're really, they don't really want that shit. You know, these guys, they love it. They love the challenge of what every day entails. And I think that's why you see guys that have such a resume, like both these guys just consistently bring it. And that's why I know Mike T was BSing about not having the energy earlier. So it's uh it's been awesome spending this time with you guys. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule and you know everything that you guys have meant to me, you know, as mentors. Can't say enough about how appreciative I am for real. Hey, you know what's interesting? I you know, my wife laughs at our relationships and, and the complexities of them. <laughs> and 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 I'll, you know, and Rob made a point talking about the encouragement, the interaction, the challenging and things that we do and, and, and we do, uh, we run to the fire as opposed to away from it. But it's, it's really interesting. And, and Rod, I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but it's like one thing that we would never do is call and check on each other when things are really bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is. <laughs> uh, hey, like 
my wife would be like, hey, you want to call and, you know, you want to call and check on the guys in Atlanta? I'm I'm like, in no way would I disrespect them that way by calling <laughs> yes. and check on Yeah, it's like, I don't need that sympathy call. Don't be giving hey, me that hey. shit. Hey, don't call me with the hanging there call. There's no hanging there calls. Hey, dude. And, and people would have a tough time understanding that about that the nature so of our relationships. But the, the interesting thing about it is when you're really up against it, you're not going to hear from any of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And Rod, it's like you have almost too much respect to give the how you doing call. Like you almost There's too respect. No question. There's no hanging in there calls, Pete. In, in our business, that's when you know you got real friends because when you're really up against it, you don't even hear from them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's awesome. I would ask this, uh, you know, Mike, you're going into your 15 or 16 here. Do you still have the same love for it? And how do you challenge yourself as you get into this, I guess, the second half, second decade almost of, of a head coaching career? How do you find yourself each offseason still getting excited for that random week three preseason game that you got to coach and got to give the same zest that you had year one? Man, I, I think it's kind of been said kind of a lot of ways throughout this, this conversation. Um, man, I love what I do. I love the misery, you know. Or uh, what people might perceive to be misery. Um, nobody loves camp like the way we love camp. You know what I mean? Um, Wednesday night blitz meetings, what have you. Just every element of the process um, I've always enjoyed. And, and that's the blessing, I think, in terms of, you know, aptitude for the job. Sure, there's some things that kind of come with the job, man. But, you know, you can waste a lot of time worrying about that stuff, man. Like, there's so much about it that I love that's challenging, that never gets old. Um, it never gets old because the variables change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the players, the, the men you work with, you know. And Ross said it earlier, and, and I want to reiterate it. We pour all of our energy into the experience of the men that we work with that play the game. We got so much respect for the guys that play the game, uh, the urgency, you know, how quickly their careers uh, happen. Uh, the opportunity to man earn a lifetime of money in a short period of time. We've all been really highly sensitive about that. And we coach in that way, man, I've seen multiple generations of players come through here in the time that I've been here, but I don't walk around like that because um, the guys I'm working with aren't walking around like that. Mm -hmm. Um, They're trying to get it right now and they don't know how much time they got to get it. And so I show respect to the men that I work with by bringing that same energy, um, by bringing that same urgency. And so I don't focus on what's going on with me. I just look into the eyes of the young men that I work with, man, that's chasing dreams and, and trying to make life better for themselves and their family and understanding that if, if we do our jobs and prepare them and set them up for it, it's significant. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better than, you know, watching a guy you work with, live out his dreams, man, to secure financial security for himself and his family and change the course of genera- of life for generations to come. We all been in it long enough now that we can see it, and it's cool. Yeah. You know, um, that's that's why we get out like that. That's why, we, that's why we bring it all on a day-to-day basis at work because we expect them guys to do the same thing, and we want to honor them with our urgency and work. 
that's why you see the response from both these guys, Peter, that they get from their players consistently year in and year out. You can't fake that. And they feel it. And I always say those who know, know. And the the players that are in the building working with these guys, the coaches on a day-to-day basis, you can't fake it. They see it. And that's why these guys are uh, as great at what they do and even better people. And like I said, man, appreciate you both taking the time. You guys mean a lot to me. And couldn't think of uh, two better guys to wrap up the Flying Coach podcast that Peter conned me into doing with him. Yeah, <laughs> it was such a con job. I mean, guys, Sean, Sean did 10 hours worth of podcast hosting in the offseason. I mean, this is maybe my greatest my greatest achievement yet. It's unbelievable I've been to do this, Sean. And yet, I think you liked it, Sean. I think you enjoyed it. Conversations like this make me enjoy it, Peter. You're right. Uh, let's wrap. Let's wrap with the one thing that we've asked every coach who's been a guest on this thing, and it's been the most rewarding part of this. And we'll start with Raheem, and then we'll end with Coach Tomlin. Um, if there's a 21 year old coach who's coaching at the high school level right now, and he's wondering whether he should get involved in this profession, and he ha- gets in an elevator with Raheem Morris at the combine, and he says, "Hey, coach, what, what's your one tip or your one thing you would like to pass along in the next ten seconds that we're getting in this elevator? What would you say to that young man or woman as you as you take that ride with them?" You know, it's uh, it's funny you ask that because that happens all the time to us, and uh, that's a part of my part to give back to these guys. Uh, and the first thing I'm gonna say about that is I'm not gonna give them just ten seconds. Uh, I'm gonna pour into that young man um, the way I was poured into by Mike Tomlin, by Herm Edwards, um, by Lovey Smith, by Rod Marinelli. Uh, by Monty Kiffin, by all the guys that that poured into me, Joe Gardy, rest in peace. All those guys invested into me. And if I came to them with a problem or question, um, they had an answer for me or the answer that they felt was the right one. So I like to give those guys the advice that I've given those guys is to to work head of the craft and to constantly pursue to be the best you can be at what you're doing, to be the very best. Mike Tomlin told me a long time ago, man, um, our only job is to be the very best. Uh, and the only way you can be your very best is to go out there and force your will on your opponent. Um, and that's what I've been trying to do my whole career. Um, and when you talk to those guys with that mentality, you talk to those guys with that type of energy, um, they'll come back and you try to help those guys, no matter who it is, where it is, or what it's for. And coach? You know, um, it, it's, it's interesting. I get it a lot. And so I've had an opportunity to kind of shape this answer over the years. And I think one of the things that's probably most valuable Looking back at it now, you know, from where I sit today, I think I would challenge them to find their voice, to be themselves. Um, Particularly in our profession, man, we're shaped by the dynamic men that we come across and we and we and we steal from them. We gain perspective from them. We learn from them. And that's cool. But I think you got to find your own voice. If it's, if it's really going to happen for you, if you want to be authentic, if it has to be real, I think you got to find a way to take all the things that you learn, but make sure that you don't lose your voice in it. I think that's probably the most significant lesson that I that I learned from, from being around Coach Dungy, to be quite honest with you. I was around him, and it didn't take very long before I realized that, man, I can't do it like him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, different guys. Like, like, yeah, I was just so in awe of his manner and how he moved. And I said, you know, I could emulate it, but I couldn't emulate it all day, every day, you know. And so this is a guy that I had admired from a distance and looked up to, obviously, for on a lot of levels in terms of profession and, and all of that. And when he hired me and I had a chance to be around him day to day, I think that's the most significant lesson that I learned. 
that, yeah, I can glean information from them. I can gain perspective from them, but I better not try to do it like him. Mm. I better do it, take those lessons and find a way to put it in my voice. And so that's why I challenge all the young guys, man. I, I take all my young guys and really try to put them in the presence of guys like Ra and Sean. And that's what I always talk to them about after I, I say, Hey man, you, you know, you had a chance to break bread with that guy. You know, what'd you think? Then I say, yeah, but you gotta be you because the, 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 the personalities are so, so strong and so dynamic that if young guys aren't careful, they'll lose their voice and they have those own, their own capabilities and I think in an effort to get the most out of what they're working with, I think that's a perspective that they can never lose. That's outstanding. I love that. Fantastic. Guys, we can't thank you enough. This was so great. I know it's your off season. You could be doing a lot of other things. And both of you, Raheem Morris and Mike Tomlin, tremendous hour of conversation. We could do this for 10 hours. And uh, I know on behalf of Sean, I really appreciate it. And Sean, I'll let you wrap it up with these guys. Yeah. Couldn't, uh, you know. Same thing. Really appreciate the guy, your, you know, your guys' time. Appreciate everything you guys mean to me. And uh, what a great way to wrap this thing up and call the uh, podcast career for me a uh, finality as well. <laughs> <laughs> what Vince Carter and Shaq after Vince Carter, it's over. That's it. It's done. <laughs> Much love, man. No doubt. Hey, thanks, Mike T. Rob, appreciate you, brother. My dog. No problem. Love you, man. Thanks, guys, so much. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Sweat. You mean armpit tears of weakness brought about by poor deodorant choices? Say goodbye to that salty river that floweth from your underarm with Old Spice Swagger Antiperspirant. Made for 24-7 sweat protection with daily use and an undeniable smell of cedarwood and lime. Mm. Giving you the confidence you need to quit your job, move to a remote island, and spend your days frolicking with dolphins. Old Spice Swagger Antiperspirant. Shop Old Spice now. Well, that was amazing, Sean. I, I I'm still laughing. I, this is a fan. This is why we do this podcast. This is why we agreed to do it. It's 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 episodes like that where we see sides of guys that we don't usually see, and we get a side of them that we pray and hope that we can ever access as fans and as myself a journalist. But Sean, you know those guys well, and that's that's how that's how you know them. Yeah, I think in the least surprising news of the uh, podcast season, Raheem Morris and Mike Tomlin delivered in a big way. Uh, 
These guys are awesome. They're fun to be around. You see why the players and the coaches that have been around them love being around these guys because of the the presence, the charisma, but these are real dudes too. I mean, they've, they've just got such a great way. You know, I think they embody everything that leadership's about, that coaching's about. I've got tremendous respect for these guys, two mentors of mine, two friends, and uh, they're some funny dudes as well. That's for sure. They're awesome. And, you know, I, I wish you and Ra the best this year for the Rams, but it's hard not to say that, uh, you know, pulling for Tomlin in a way too. I mean, what a dude. He's so great. And these players love playing for him. So, so awesome to to have those guys on the podcast. And I say this with, I don't know, I've got like a sentimental tone right now. I, this is... Uh, this is weird for me. Okay, so I used to go to summer camp as a kid, and the last night of summer camp, and it was sleepaway camp, I'd go away for weeks. My parents would kick me out of the house, and I would go and go out to upstate New York. And the last night of camp before you go back was called Nostalgia Night, and they would play you a video of like your be like the best moments of the summer. Um, I loved Camp Laconda. That's where I went, but I also loved Flying Coach, and I'm, I used to get really upset on Nostalgia Night. I'm getting upset, guys. This is sentimental. This is our final episode of Flying Coach Season 2. What, and, what uh, kind of camp was this nostalgia night i don't even know what the hell that means and i'm 35 years old very touchy-feely nostalgia night was the deal where you'd show all the highlights of all the athletics that we did and it was like you know i'm gonna see you guys next summer but for 10 months i'm not gonna see you and it's it, that's how i feel right now because now sean let's not let's not kid ourselves once i hang up from this podcast you're going into dark mode and you will be fully dialed in this was the last of the loosey-goosey sean mcveigh that i know and i think andrew whitworth hit that uh this week in a quote saying he hasn't talk to you Monday to Thursday. He just waits until the game plan's ready because he knows you're in your mode. Sean, I say goodbye. I bid farewell. I, I feel like this is the end of a beautiful relationship. We'll pick it up in 10 months. It, it has been the end of a beautiful experience with Peter and Craig. And I don't know what the word is for nostalgia because this will be the end for Coach McVeigh on the podcast network. Don't say that. All I get from these fans on Twitter are like, "Is uh, when? Well, who you got? When is the season?" And I'm like, I can't commit to anything. Sean agreed to one year as a favor to me, and uh, we're having a blast doing it. But Sean, let's bring in Craig Horlbeck, our amazing producer. This is a three-person job. Let's just say that Craig does the, a lot of the heavy lifting on this one. And Craig, we can't thank you enough for all your work. And I think the the listeners and a lot of the readers on Twitter, they appreciate your input as well. So Sean, I'll just say, Craig, it was a pleasure working with you on this thing, man. Likewise. It's been an absolute privilege to work with both of you. And I'm bummed now to hear that Sean's out because that means I'm unemployed next, next season. Oh, wow. Solid guilt trip right there. I got no problem believing that you two will find a third and you don't even really need a third to make this thing as special <laughs> as this season was. I feel the same way both of you guys are saying. It, it really has. You know, you throw the headset on, you get on here. It hasn't ever felt like work. You know, we've had great guests. Our first episode, how long ago that seems and how much I enjoyed the conversation. And then when you get on for, you know, these latter segments, Craig, and, and just working with you and, and you being able to kind of chop it up and make us sound a lot better than what we are. Uh, really appreciate both you guys. And you certainly have made this enjoyable for me. And didn't know what to expect getting into it, but like I said, I wouldn't do it with anybody but you, Peter, and then getting to know you over the course of this, Craig. It's been a real pleasure, Bo. It's been great, and uh, big thanks to Bill Simmons and to all the people who've been listening and sending us uh, tweets, and of course to all our guests who, guys, let me tell you, they do it for free. They devote hours of their lives, and the feedback has been consistent from them. 
thanks for having me on. It was a different kind of media experience. And I think that was our goal. And you heard it today from Tomlin and, and Ra. You heard it last week from Joe Judge. You've heard it throughout from whoever it be, Arthur Smith, Zach Taylor, Sala LaFleur, uh, Kingsbury, Shanahan. It's been awesome. And uh, let's end it the way we've ended every podcast. Let's get to the emails and the voicemails, which I believe we are now calling airmail courtesy of sean's friend from home named rusty who <laughs> thought of that idea and kind of fed that along so craig horlbeck our great producer what do we got this year let's end it the right way what do we got as far as emails and voicemails all right this one is from zach in des moines iowa he says we always hear about how the players have to adjust when they have a thursday night game but what about the coach's point of view how does a different time span between games for example sunday into a thursday monday and monday into a sunday affect how you approach your week uh it's an absolute nightmare that's why the first <laughs> thing that i look at uh, when the seat, when the schedule comes out is where is our Thursday night game? Because when you have a little bit less inventory, you don't have a chance to overthink and feel like you're short in the process. Having had a little bit later Thursday night game this past season against the Patriots, I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. All right. There's too much film. There's too little time to get prepared, but you always find a way, but you don't really ever practice full speed. If you can imagine, let me just say, Hey, take, seven days or six days of preparation and all bundle that up into three and we're already squeezed for time as it is. So you can imagine what that looks like, but I am glad that our Thursday night game is earlier this coming season. That was kind of reflected in the previous seasons up until the, the 2020 year where we played the Patriots later on, but everything is condensed. If you can just imagine, you know, whatever you do over the course of two days, you're doing that in one day and the turnaround is brutal on the players. Um, so they're the most important parts of everything that we do, but it does uh, restrict. I think a big part of it is making sure you get your rest and you're a little bit more, uh, you're, you're running on a little bit more fumes, but uh, you do get that mini buy afterwards, but everything's just condensed down into, you know, you get twice as much done in the, and in, uh, in one day as, as you would in a normal weekly preparation. Okay. This next one is from, I apologize if I mispronouncing this, Eton from Israel, which is pretty cool. Eton. Eton. Thanks, Peter. I don't know. Eton? All right. I don't know. You said it so confidently. <laughs> yeah, like you, you knew know, it. You're like, you're like uh, you know, my dad, he always tells me, he's like, you know, because I'll say something so confident and I'll be wrong. He says, you know, sometimes in error, never in doubt. He's like, you know, you say stuff so confidently. I know I'm right. You make me question myself, you jerk. <laughs> That's what you just did right there, Peter. His name you is don't even John. know. You, you didn't even have any spelling to even get it. You know, you just decided to throw the O in there, but you said it so confidently. Craig, you, you and I both are thinking, well, yeah, shit, right. he must know what he's talking about. Let it rip, Eton. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is for Peter. He says, you've spoken many times about how you don't really watch tape. Uh, to see what you've done and critique yourself. How much feedback are you and your fellow Good Morning Football hosts giving each other after or during a show? Oh, that's tricky. Um, <laughs> let's think. Like, I think we talk about it as a collective. Like, here's what we can do. But gosh, I would never like point to Kay or Kyle and be like, you know, you read the prompter wrong this time or you didn't get the commercial properly. But I think, you know, if Nate's going long... And sometimes he does, and it's like, you know, Nate's going three minutes on some conversation about the Falcons, and he's just listing names. I will bust his chops on air, and then he knows it's with love, and I'll be like, all right, Nate, are you done yet? You know, something like that. I'll, I'll say whatever it is. It's that kind of stuff, but... um you know, well, the bosses, what, I know Kyle Brandt's not afraid to th to shoot his shot and throw out some haymakers. What's the biggest criticism that he gives you? Get a little long-winded? 
not long-winded. My, the shit that Kyle hates that I do and that Nate and Kay will roll their eyes and I'll be like, all right, let me tell you why Anthony Ferkser is going to have an amazing season. Mm. Anthony Ferkser is a tight end from the Titans and he's and like, and like, all right, stop showing off. We get it. Like, you know, players that other people don't know. Like I went big on Dan Arnold a lot last summer and they solid, end up solid, solid, solid uh, going in on him. He, he's, he's a much better player than he's given respect for, I believe. Sure. And he's, a, he was a Cardinals tight end. He's now a Panthers tight end. But like by the end of the summer, when I was talking about Dan Arnold and how great I thought he was going to be, it became their joke of like, all right, let's talk about Dak Prescott and maybe if you want Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. We don't need to start the show with Dan Arnold talk. So that's what they'll bust my balls about a lot. They'll say that I'm, you know, I'm trying to find that hidden gem a little too often. But in truth, you know, our show is pretty fine-tuned, uh, fine-oiled machine. The producers speak our language, we speak it. And if there is an actual criticism or if a segment isn't working or if someone actually says something that came off as insulting or patronizing or worst of all, wasn't genuine. I think we would, uh, we would address it in a respectful manner, but I don't, I don't watch episodes back too often. And I certainly, um, don't like the sound of my own voice. So it's, it's one of those deals where, I, you know, I, I appreciate any feedback I get as long as it's constructive, but I'm certainly not in the lab watching clips of myself all day long. So Eton, that's Peter's way of saying he's the man. He doesn't make any mistakes, no film necessary. Hey, Ethan, you wish you could be... No, I'm kidding. All right, let's just keep rolling. <laughs> okay, this is from Leo here. He asks a uh, question for Sean. Please take us behind the curtain how you contrast the personalities of, a th of the three men you've entrusted to run your defense. How could you Ooh. approach a legend like Wade about making changes to his long-developed scheme? Did you have more input with Brandon Staley? Does being friends with Raheem Morris make it difficult? So essentially, he's just asking, like, was it hard to walk up to a legend like, like you know, Wade and be like, hey... I don't like this. Great well, question. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good question. And I think, you know, number one, anything that you're doing, first of all, everything that we do, even though I'm the head coach, it's all about collaboration. We're working together. It's not about guys working with me. It's about working with me. And I alluded to it earlier in this podcast that I heard Wade Phillips say that to his defensive staff right when we first started working together. And so you got to build a foundation on a relationship. We've got to be in alignment and we talk through a commitment to a philosophy. What's the teaching progression? And then how do we want that illustrated week in and week out? Number one, starting with our players, how we feel like the best way to put pressure on the opposing offense. And then ultimately, how does that fit into the way that our offense and our kicking game helps us win the football game and come away with the result, putting all three phases together. And so, um, you know, there was it, it was very similar, but the relationships are a little bit unique in terms of all right, how much experience you had. Uh, Raheem and I have more experience than I did with Wade and Brandon going into those scenarios. But all three of those guys are great coaches that are teachers. Number one, well, number one, they're great men. That's the most important thing. All right, number two, they're great teachers. They have a commitment to a philosophy, and then they also know how to put their players in the best positions to be successful. I think one of the best things I can say about all three of those men is they've been around a lot of great players but I don't think it's by coincidence that a lot of these great players have played some of their best football when they've been with a Wade Phillips, with a Brandon Staley, or with a Raheem Morris. And so um, it's about that collaboration, that relationship, and, and being able to have that agility year in and year out based on our players, our team, and then how we want to operate. But I always say, you know, we uh, will compete with our schemes, but we're going to win with our people, and, and that'll never change as long as I'm coaching. Can I ask a quick follow-up? Because I think this is interesting. Sean, you've had all these great coaches that have been on your staffs and you've elevated from within several times. With Brandon, you hired from the outside when I'm sure a lot of guys, both in the building and outside the building, would have loved to have been the defensive coordinator. 
what was your relationship to Brandon Staley? And, you know, he was an outside linebackers coach for the Denver Broncos and a bad Denver Broncos team. How did you identify him and how are you so sure he can get the job done? Well, it's all about, you know, relationships. Coach Judge alluded to that. You know, there was a handful of guys on our staff or people that I had crossed paths with that had worked with Brandon, spoken really highly of him. I was obviously very intrigued to spend some time with him based on his experience and exposure to, to Coach Fangio. You know, I, I've uh, not shied away from the tremendous amount of respect that I have for him and what the consistency that his defenses have operated with at a bunch of different stops, whether you go back to San Francisco, Chicago, Denver as of late. But there was a lot of history even preceding those stops that he's been at the upper echelon for a long time. And so I was interested by that. Then when you get a chance to spend time with Brandon, you know, you can feel the ownership of the game, the passion for the game, the relationships he's building, the vision that he had for our players. Um, and, and he had really been working at it. I felt like he was uh, ready for the opportunity. And obviously he answered the bell with flying uh you know, flying colors. And I thought he was surrounded by some really good coaches. You know, I, I think you're always a reflection of uh, the collaboration amongst the coaches and the players that you're working with. And I thought Brandon did a great job of empowering his staff, putting our players in the right positions. And then, uh, you know, ultimately did such a good job that he earned the right to compete for head coaching jobs and, and won, the, won that op in, uh, you know, in LA with the Chargers and excited for him. Great answer. Okay, before we get to the email here, there's one more, or before we get to the voicemail, there's one more email that I thought was funny. I don't think it, I've, I haven't seen one email about this question. I don't think I've ever heard anyone ask a coach about this. He wants to know about what you think about coin tosses at the start of the game. And if you have a philosophy on coin tosses, he says, one thing that I've always wondered is why teams keep deferring when they win. Last year, teams that scored first, regardless of three or seven, won the game 55% of the time. I know the argument is you want to score at the end of the half and double up at the beginning of the third, but is my math wrong here? Why do people still insist on deferring? Yeah, but I mean, who scores first? I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily mean who takes it. I mean, we're still talking about a 55, 45% discrepancy. I would say this, you know, there. I, I thought you were asking about the, whether you call heads or tails at I first. Was too. Oh, I, well, I was, do you have I, that? Answer I, that too. No, do you have I, that actually, answer? I, I, you know what? I defer to our players on that, you know, whatever their feel is and, you know, I know uh, Cooper Cup liked to have a lot of an influence on whatever Jared would call. And he was, you know, it was uncanny the amount of coin tosses that we won <laughs> when we were, you know, when we were actually making that decision. But, you know, I think in a lot of instances, it's about trying to steal that possession at the end of, you know, based on how you want to play out the first half is trying to get a possession, kind of a two for one, if you will, where you get a possession before you go into the half. And then, you know, you're getting it out, getting it coming out of the half. But um, like, do you have a philosophy? Does it change game by game what you're going to do? It could. I mean, I would say this for the most part, if you said the overarching philosophy, what I've done the majority of the time would be defer. But if you felt like, Hey man, uh, you know, need some momentum or we're going to come out, we're going to, we talk to the team about, Hey, we're taking the ball. We're going to go right down the field and score. You know, you might take the ball first, but if you said general philosophy, not kind of pigeonholing yourself into an all encompassing approach, you know, the weather plays a factor, the wind, all of those things are the, the, the things that would be the outliers that you can't be naive to ignore as a head coach. But Generally speaking, if the weather and the elements or if the specific approach by that week, you know, you're typically deferring. So you get the ball coming out of the second half and you try to be smart with how that thing, um, you know, unfolds and, and maybe get a two for one at the end of the first half. Uh, like if you're going up against Mahomes or Rogers, what's the play there? Is it like we don't want I mean, is that one of those deals? Does that ever matter? Like the player on the other side? Certainly, I think it does. You know, if, if you get behind on these teams and there's some of these teams that that put the, you know, 
put their freaking foot on your throat. Uh, you know, that's, that's something that I think would certainly dictate and determine maybe a little bit different response, but it'd be a week by week, but, but overall, you, you know, I'm, I'm typically deferring, which I think is, uh, you know, kind of a standard operating, not, yeah. not necessarily standard, but I would think that's the majority of the, the league's approach. If you just look at what guys did, uh, when they won the coin toss this past year. Okay. All right. Let's get to the voicemail. Hey Pete. Hey coach question for you about the night before a big game. How do you shut your brain down the end of the night so that you can get to sleep? And do you keep a notepad and a pen next to the bed if you've got ideas? Just how do you kind of unwind yourself at the end of that day? And then the next day, how do you start it off? How do you kind of keep yourself in check so that you're focused mentally and emotionally where you peak at game time and you don't get too high early in the day? Love to hear your your take on your process for that. Thanks. That's a good question. I, w- I would say this. Um, Peter mentioned it. Uh, my man Whitworth t- talked about how he doesn't like to talk to me through Tuesday through f- until Friday afternoon. I think it's trusting in the preparation. You try to settle down. You know, I always try to the, to get a, a good amount of sleep, especially the two nights preceding the game so that you're as sharp because I am a big believer in how much that affects your mental clarity and the ability to make sound decisions and and be, uh, be steady uh, throughout the course of the inevitable ebbs and flows that a game entails. But if their weekly rhythm is in alignment and you trust your process and your players and the people around you, I really don't have trouble sleeping the night before a game. And then typically what I'll do is I'll get up. Uh, you know, I want to try to make sure I'm getting eight hours of sleep. You get up and I usually go through some form of a workout to kind of get a good sweat in. And then you're kind of going through, uh, you know, playing the game before the game with a lot of the decisions, especially as a play caller. Uh, you know, what's the best way, you know, to to put all three phases together, but it's more just kind of reviewing your call sheet, your calls, playing the game within the game. Uh, I, I typically am a guy that I, I do a lot of that uh, kind of, it's not last minute, but you're getting those thoughts together for the couple hours preceding the game. And then I'll come out, you know, probably about 45 minutes, you know, when we're warming up before kickoff. I'm not one of those guys that's out there a few hours before. I'm usually in kind of a quiet space and getting my thoughts together. And then, um, you know, that's that's kind of that that rhythm and that process that I'll go through, but really don't have trouble sleeping the night before a game as long as you feel like, uh, you know, the weekly rhythm is in alignment with uh, all the things you believe. And Thursday nights are maybe the only exception to that if I feel like we've got to uh, condense six days into three. <laughs> uh, from my standpoint, my Saturdays have changed drastically. So I used to do sidelines and I used to report on games and Saturday night was just one of great excitement for Sunday because I knew I, no matter what, a story was going to unfold. And I was able to share that with uh, either my readers or, or the viewers. I'll never forget Sam Rosen, who a lot of people know as the voice of the New York Rangers hockey, for years did Fox games. And I would occasionally do games with him. And his tradition, I loved, he would watch Saturday Night Live every Saturday night because he wanted to laugh and just loosen up. And he would stay up to like 1130. And I'm like, that's nuts. And Sam, would love it. He's like, I watched SNL. I like it. I shut my brain off. I can watch comedy, see a musical act, turn it off. And then in the morning I start fresh. My whole thing changed when I began doing inside uh, info type stuff and was the reporter for Fox's NFL pregame show, Fox NFL kickoff. Now Saturdays are are nerve wracking as hell. And I'm sitting by my phone and I'm trying to get information. So on my own network, I've got Jay Glazer following me an hour after me, who's going to have something that I certainly don't have. Then ESPN's got Adam Schefter. NFL Network has Ian Rappaport and Mike Garofolo and all those guys, and they're all doing the same thing. So it's a rat race. And 
my goal is to get one big piece of news every week. And it's not necessarily ankle injury or this guy's unhappy with a situation. It's a story. It's something that the coach has told me leading into the game. It's a piece of film. Sometimes they'll send me footage. Hey, here's something that is worth watching for or worth sharing with your audience um, that that we want to call to attention to. But if I can get that one or two things that no one else has, I know I'm doing my job and I'm earning my keep at Fox, but it has become far more stressful and far more on the phone, texting, whatever. But to Sean's point, um, that morning for me, I wake up at 4 a.m. Pacific time because I got to be on East Coast hours. I got to keep that. I wake up at 4 a.m. Pacific time, um, which is 7 a.m. Eastern. And I am on the phone for 24 hours leading up to that point, just constantly trying to get information and gathering and just grinding away. It's a lonely existence in a lot of ways because you can't do the socializing dinner. You can't uh, you can't necessarily go to a movie or a concert. You're sitting in a hotel room, sitting on a phone, just trying to get some information. Wow. Well, that does it, guys. Is that depressing way to end this? It's a lonely existence. <laughs> no, it's a great insight. I mean, no one really thinks about that, what the lead up is like for Dude, reporters Schefter's and stuff. tweeting. Schefter's tweeting at, f- at 4 a.m. Eastern on Sunday mornings, if you notice, and Rappaport's tweeting at 4.30 a.m. Eastern. Like, it has become, and it's great. It's competitive. It's it's our equivalent of, hey, there's a scoreboard. Who's got what? You know, it's it's what we do, and it's 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 the same thing as Sean preparing for a game plan against a divisional rival. Like it's the same deal. And I think uh, you have to appreciate the hustle from everyone. Uh, and it's a billion dollar industry. We all play a role. Well, that was great. Where are we where are we ending this podcast, Sean? I feel like uh, do you want to sing? Um, you know, Shania Twain or, uh, or McLaugh- Sarah McLaughlin on the way out, just kind of have a sentimental, teary-eyed, uh, you know, goodbye. What do we want to do here? No, we're going to end this uh, the way we started it, with excitement and joy. This was uh, this was a great 10 episodes, a lot of different, uh, you know, things that we touched on throughout. But if there's one thing that I think we would all, you know, Craig and Peter and myself would hope is that, that people had fun with this. You know, you get a little bit of insight into – kind of leadership coaching. You have Troy Aikman on, but, you know, guys having fun chopping it up a little bit. And, uh, you know, what my favorite part about this whole thing has been, you know, obviously spending time with a good friend in Peter, getting to know Craig. But I've also really appreciated the the different lens that you're able to see a lot of these coaches through, you know, and even just, you know, a little bit uh, on me, you know, you, you, we have to be so structured and strategic when you have to, you know, get up and you're talking for the media and, you know, you, you still have to be cognizant of everything you say, but I think you get an insight into, you know, these are real dudes that are, uh, you know, fun to be around, even though they, uh, you know, they get an opportunity to do something that is a hell of a lot of fun coaching football and can be a lot of stress, but there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of great stories. And uh, I think we've gotten a chance to see, you know, what a bunch of great guys we've had on this that uh, maybe you don't always get that perspective in a lot of the media stuff that they do or appearances when you hear them speak. And, and that was fun for me. Yeah. And it was fun for me too. And I loved that we were able to provide a platform where you saw a different side of Cliff Kingsbury, or you saw a different side of Zach Taylor, or you got a chance to really dig into what makes Joe Judge tick. I love that stuff. That's my dream. That's what I want to do. It's my passion. And Sean, I cannot say enough how much I appreciate you doing this. Um, You're not required to do this. You obviously didn't have to do this, but we've thought about this about last year during the pandemic. Like we should try doing something together for the fact that it actually came together and was as successful and as enjoyable as it was. 
I can't say enough about it and as you as a friend. So good luck to you this season. I appreciate you doing this podcast. I know the listeners loved it. And gosh, uh, you know, if there's anything that we can take from this, it's that uh, these coaches, they're real people too. And, uh, and at the end of the day, there are wins and losses, but everyone's in it for the same reason. We're all trying to get better every day. And Sean, uh, you're a great, great media personality. And when you're done coaching, there'll be a seat at any of these networks waiting for you. I'm just appreciative that you gave me and Craig a chance to get first dibs at you. Well, I don't know about that, but, uh, it was fun. Like I said, uh, you know, you kind of put it all together. Uh, really happy to do this with a genuine friend. I think that also showed, you know, is that we've got a real relationship. I think the immediate rapport, it was, uh, it was just us being us and, uh, you know, going back a handful of years and, and mentioned it a couple times, but but Craig, you've you've been outstanding, and it's easy to enjoy what you do when you're doing it with people that you really enjoy being around. And I think that uh, I think that was felt week in and week out. And now it's time for me to get back to being a dick yeah. as a head coach. Yeah, go for it. Now on nostalgia <laughs> night at Camp Laconda, the last thing we did is we would burn the numbers. They'd put them up in sticks, and then you'd burn it down of the year. So 2021 Flying Coach Season 2, we're going to burn it. We're going to let it go to the ground. And then, uh, Sean, you better believe I'm going to spend the next 10 months trying to convince you to come back to this thing. Well, I'm excited to get uh, training camp kicked off the right way uh, You know, with a lot of coaches and players I'm excited about. And then uh, we'll see what the hell happens after that. Good luck, my friend. Craig, awesome as always. And to the listeners, thank you guys. Flying Coach Season 2, that's a wrap. We had a blast. I hope you guys enjoyed it too.